is, it is a privilege to be here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. It's a place that we actually pray for at the refuge every single week uh, at church. We love to pray over churches within the valley as uh, we gather every Sunday morning, and uh, we want to see God proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that comes into these doors uh, here in Surprise. I live in Surprise, and it is a, a blessing to be here. You, your pastor, Pastor Brett, and the team here does a phenomenal job. They have been, you guys have been a great encouragement to the refuge. We've been a church uh, for a little over four years now, and you guys have been a great supporter of the refuge in, in many different ways. In fact, uh, Pastor Brad was one of our original elders to help our church start uh, our church to get it off the ground. And, and then you guys got him here, and he was so busy doing stuff, we had a, he had to make a decision, either us or you, and uh, he, chose, he chose a great place, uh, and uh, we are very grateful uh, to Pastor Brad, Pastor Brett, to every single one of you here as, as a part of the Refuge Church. Uh, it, is a, it is a great thing. Some of you may not know who I am or where I come from. Again, I've mentioned the church, the Refuge. I was a youth pastor for years at Calvary Community Church, uh, 517, and Cactus, for many years, and then God called us out to start a uh, brand new thing on the west side of town over by the Dodgers White Sox Spring Training Stadium, where we've been doing, uh, doing church, big church, uh, for a long time. Now, it feels like, feels like a long time, but it's really just a short time. I'm a twin. I have, uh, uh, he looks just like me. Uh, he's, he's, he's gorgeous and handsome, as they say. Uh, my wife asked me if I was going to comb my hair tonight. I said, I... <laughs> just did. So that comes with four kids. I have four children that are outstanding. They're all born on a holiday, believe it or not. I have a daughter that's born on Valentine's Day, a son born on Father's Day. My next son is born on Christmas Eve. Uh, my fourth son, we were really searching and looking, uh, but he was born on the Feast of Tabernacle, and uh, <laughs> it's a Jewish holiday. And it's actually believed the day that Christ would have come to this earth. So we've got both Christmases covered uh, on my end. And I'm born on Martin Luther King. Uh, I got married on Columbus Day. And my wife, she has her own specific day in, in September, which is just perfect uh, for us. And, uh, and my wife was saying as we were walking in here tonight that the last time we were here, on a, I think on a Wednesday night, uh, our... Uh, our episode was airing. We were on the Wheel of Fortune uh, a few years back. It was a lifelong dream for my wife to actually get on the show. We did it as a couple. It was outstanding. We got third place. It was really good. That's right. If you don't know, there's three teams. <laughs> All right. So we did outstanding on that show. I know we did. We actually solved the most puzzles uh, out of everybody. We just didn't the guy that spun didn't spin very well. I had an amazing teammate, and she just solved all the puzzles that, that four, in fact, uh, that was outstanding. But tonight, tonight, uh, we get to jump into something. When Pastor Brett gave me a call this week uh, and asked, hey, can, can you fill in and teach uh, for me? I was, absolutely. And I asked him, what, what were we doing? What's going on? So I don't uh, trip on something that you guys are doing right now. And he said, anything Old Testament? And uh, I'm like, oh, dude, okay, that's outstanding. I got, I got something for you. So if you got, a, you got your Bible, you got one underneath you, you got one on your phone, you got one on a tablet, you, you just got one you want to pull from thin air, uh, you're welcome to open that up to the book of Jonah. Jonah tonight, chapter 
chapter one. We're actually going to cover a lot of Jonah itself this evening. And I pray, it's been my prayer all day long, that we would come to see something unique, fascinating in the text that deals specifically with each one of our lives as we look at the book of Jonah together. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. We thank you very much for the blessing it is to be here this evening to worship with you. God, we ask and pray that tonight you would do something great in this place, that your word would come alive, you would speak to our hearts, and you would reveal your truth to us in a, in a mighty, powerful way. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. I got a number for you. The number is 120,000. 120,000. 120,000 fortune cookies. What would you do? Would you read them or pick one of the 120? Or would you just eat them all and not read a thing? If I gave you 120,000 tokens for Peter Piper Pizza, what game would you play? Or would you, would you share, hog it all, just get as many tickets as you can? If I gave you 120,000 ice cream flavors, what would you choose? Would you have 120,000 choices of ice, of, of, of coffee? What would you get? Ooh, now am I starting to hit someone's nerve here a little bit? God, okay, what about $120,000? Give you $120,000. You get you a little more excited, maybe? Okay. Or, or if we were to get really serious, if we said 120,000 souls, how does that speak to one's heart this evening? 120,000 lives that mattered to somebody. This is a number that the book of Jonah is all about. 120,000, specifically. And everything of these souls or these lives mattered to a person, to a group, a city. But most important, I'm going to say 120,000 is so vital to God. As we look in the text this morning, the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, let's look at something specifically in a city known as Nineveh. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Can you smell the smell of that aroma, the aroma of evil? <laughs> it's like the, uh, the doorway of doom, the destruction of death. You can smell the fragrance of, of disaster right before the nostrils of God. And as God takes a whiff upon this great wickedness of, of evil, imagine like you have a, a bunch of wet items and clothes that you've left in your, your car all day long, all night, and all day the next day. Your windows have been rolled up. It's all outside. And then you hop in your car. Then that two days later, and you smell this stench, like rancid for just a second, just the, the, the weight of that smell. To Nineveh, to God, this had a very stench of grotesque. The grotesque or the sin that was, was the evil that was happening inside of Nineveh. Now, many people say, and they look upon the cities of the world, and they say, how does a city get away with that? How does a person get away with that? Does God even care about what's happening in our world today? 
And I would say God really does care about the sin that happens within society, but I would say even more so, God cares about the very souls of every single person in existence on this earth. You see, Nineveh was a city built of 120,000 people at the time that Jonah lived. It was in modern-day Jonah time. It was the, a great city in the Assyrian, Assyrian stronghold. It had a seven and a half uh, miles long of, of, of walls and 15 gates. It was known within the city of, of uh, the Assyrians as a place of great despair, destruction, but, but uh, to the world, to the outside, but those on the inside, this was home. This was life. And if you lived there, it was exciting. It was like modern day Las Vegas for those of, who are uh, blood-bought Christians, Christians that are just all about Jesus. And they can look at Sin City and go, wow, I'm never going to go there. That is evil. I would, I would never touch it. They were known, the people inside there, they would worship uh, the god of Ash, Ishtar and other deities in, in, in the temple of Naboo. And inside this place, they were known for their um, filleting of the skin of, of people within the, the city that didn't agree with what they bought into. They would cut off arms and hands and limbs of, of individuals, people who did crimes, but also those who just didn't agree with the things that happened within the city. It, it was uh, set up originally by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, 4,500 B.C. It was a city of great renown, but at the time of Jonah's world, to a Jew living within the city's confines of his Israel, it would be a place of great burden and a great despair. So God sees a city in need, and he doesn't call on Superman. He doesn't call on Batman doesn't call on an Iron Man. He calls on a God man, and his name is Jonah. And he reaches down, and as we read in there in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is God's word to a man. Literally, he calls Jonah a spokesman or um, a prophet. We would know them today like someone who speaks for the president, the press secretary of 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 the great country of the United States of America, we would know this person as a spokesman, an ambassador for someone of very importance. Here to God, who is of great importance to the entire world, God chooses Jonah among all people. And how does God speak to him? We don't know precisely how he speaks, but we know God speaks to people in a dream. God speaks to us in a vision. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us sometimes audibly. Maybe sometimes God speaks to us very simply uh, in that still small voice as we're just listening. And I would say this this evening, for all of us gathered together tonight, in, a, in really a city, a country, uh, a world that is in despair, that needs hope, we need to listen and hear what God has to say about our Nineveh of today, our world in which we live in. And God said to Jonah in verse 2, look with me, what's... He said, what's the very first word in your Bible? Let's say it all out together. Three, two, one. Arise. Come on, everybody. Three, two, one. What? Arise. One more time. Three, two, one. What? Arise. This is a, an action word, right? He says, get up off your feet, Jonah. I'm asking you to go do something. It's time to arise. Go to the people of Nineveh. 
Tell them about the hope that's found only in me. This is a, a great, important thing I want you to do. So Jonah's response, what does he do? He flees, goes the opposite direction. Look at verse three. It says, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Oh, man. You get the call of God. God calls him up. Hey, yo, Jonah, what's up, God? Hey, I want you to go. I need you to go to uh, the people of Nineveh. Sweet. Hey, let's go to Tarshish today. Like, like this is epic, epic movement. He could have had the opportunity to go north, uh, northeast to where he was at. Instead, he chooses to go southwest. I want to show you a map on the screen uh, so that you can see just the direction and place where he would go. He's in Israel, could go easily, easily, 550 miles northeast. Instead, he goes, chooses a direction of 2,500 miles towards Tarshish. He leaves his hometown in like northern, northern regions of Israel. You would know him as the Sea of Galilee region or the, the, where the border of Syria and Israel is today. And he leaves that and he goes down to Joppa, which is on modern day Tel Aviv. And he's, he's sitting there, books a passage. I want to get on your boat. I want to get out of town, get out of Dodge and, and leave away. And, and his whole point is to flee I love what the text says. If you look again at verse three, it says it twice. It says he wanted to leave the presence of the Lord. And anytime I see a, uh, something that happens in scripture, not once, but twice, it gets me to pay attention about something. God desires to be in our presence. Jonah's moment, though, a follower of God, follower of the Lord most high, the same God that you and I came here to worship tonight, he made a decision, I think like many of us might do even tonight, at some time, maybe in the future, maybe we've done so in the past, but he made a decision to flee from the presence of God. You know the right thing to do. God asks you to do it, but yet he doesn't do it. What compels a man, what compels a woman to leave the presence of God, to go AWOL? What is it that... What stirs somebody deep inside that says, I don't want to go with God. I believe in you, Lord. I want to follow after you, but I choose to be disobedient this one moment, to not be an active obedience type of person, but I choose to be disobedient to you. I want to leave your presence. What is it that drives someone to do this? For me, I think it boils down to one simple question. Do they remember their why? Like, I, I, there's a comedian, really famous today. He, his name is Michael Jr., Michael Jr. Comedy. He's a hysterical guy. He's Christian, goes around churches, and he has this thing that he goes about, and he talks about, if you know your why, do you know your why, the why behind everything? Because if you know your why, you will have great reason to do what you do, what you do, and how you do it. And do you remember why you do what you do? Like, do you know your why? Why you get out of bed every single morning? What is the reason? Because you have to go to work? Is that it? To pay the bills. Do you get up because you want to do something for the Lord today? That's the basic church answer. Can I be churchy here? Okay. Okay. It's the, I know what I, I should read my Bible, pray, go to church. That's what I need to do. This is why I get out of bed. No, but really, why do you get out of bed? Because you got to go pee. 
right? <laughs> That's why we got to go. I, I get out of bed. I got to use the restroom. It, it's just how it, it, it's just how it is. Like, but why? No, but seriously, why, why do we do what we do? Jonah, I think we see some underlying in why he does what he does for a reason. And it's picked up later in this story in chapter three of verse 10 and in chapter four. Turn, look there, it's probably just the next page, literally over. And in the context of the story, just so you know, Jonah runs away. God says, don't do that. I'm gonna, and so he sends a great big fish. The great big fish swallows Jonah up. He's sitting there in the belly of the great fish. He repents. He's like, God, woe is me. If you give me one more chance, I'll go all in for you. And Jonah's like, cool. Uh, or God says, cool. Thank you, Jonah, for getting the attention uh, that you want. So he commands the fish. And the, I don't know what's a greater miracle, that the fish actually it was, like he lived in the fish for three days and three nights in the belly of that great big fish, or that the fish spit him up on a dry land. Like, just think about that for a moment. A great big fish spit, it could have spit him up anywhere in the water, but he spit him up on dry land. That, that is a miracle. And of all places, he put him right back. I, he put him right back at, at Joppa. Like, hey, let's start afresh. Go back the right way. That's that's an, that's incredible fish market, right? Uh, it's a hockey for that moment. So, here here he is. So he goes, and then he tells the people of Nineveh. Walks up there, makes a big deal, and he looks a little different because inside of a great big fish, you're going to look after the acid eats you, uh, and you're looking a little different. Uh, um, yeah, he was pretty fresh, you could say. And he shares a great word with those people. And it probably scared him to death. There's a ghost rocking before me, nice and white guy, uh, probably albino looking at this moment. And he shares a good word. And they, re they repent. And now we pick up verse 10, chapter 3. It says, when God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way, and God relented. You say it with me? God did what? Relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, to forestall you, I fled to Tarshish. Do you see what he's saying here? Like, we get some insight into what's going on inside of the man. He is so ticked off about these people in Nineveh. He doesn't want these people in Nineveh to discover the hope found only in God Almighty that I don't even want to tell them the story. This is why I didn't want to go in the first place. And you relented, God. What God? Man, he gets furious because of his emotions are upset towards the Ninevites. Maybe a, a friend or a family member of his was, was brutally murdered up there. Maybe... Uh, like literally in this, in this time in our world, maybe he's, he's, it makes a lot of sense. Maybe he's racist to the people up in the Nineveh. He, he's disgusted, a Jew towards, towards a Gentile. How, how dare God have mercy on these people? It, it, he's disgusted with it. He's upset with God. He knew what God would do, and yet he didn't want to experience it. He forgot, and this is what's so crazy to me, he forgot his why on why he was called and asked by God in the first place. To like, he, he had something, like Jonah had something that nobody else had at that time in the Gentile world, a relationship with God. They didn't experience some, a, a oneness with God. And Jonah had something special. And Jonah really needed a heart change. He had apathy towards these people. Apathy is the, the absence of love. It's like total disdain for, 
for someone else. He was deeply hurt. I think he had great, um, I think something happened to his past. Sometimes I find in church with uh, talking with students for many years and now talking with adults all the time and discovered something usually happens in their past. As a young child, they've been praying for a grandfather to come to Christ and their grandfather dies instead. God, I wanted you to heal that person, but they died. And so they get mad at God and they, they get upset. And sometimes we're defined by things in our past. Sometimes you're mad to this day of somebody on a playground. You didn't get picked on the team because so-and-so singled you out, made fun of you. A family member picked on you and made, made a big hullabaloo on Facebook, told everybody, and you are embarrassed. And so you're upset to this day because somebody offended you. Somebody rightfully wronged you. Somebody took your heart crushed it, broke it, and because of what they did to you, you choose, I don't want anything to do with you. You become like this, as I like to call this message, a game, a game of thrones. You see, God wants to sit on the throne of your life, but for some reason or another, you choose who lives and who dies. You have the power to share the wonderful hope of Jesus Christ to this entire generation that needs Christ. You have a neighbor, you have a family member, you have a friend, somebody on the outside that doesn't know Jesus. We all have somebody. And yet, for some reason or another, we choose, no, they don't need to know about it right now. I don't want them to know about it right now, about this wonderful saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can be accepted just as you are to have eternal life forever and ever with God Almighty. Instead, nah, I don't want them to know about it right now because I'm really mad at them. I'm in charge of the throne. It's my throne and I choose who do I, what I want to do and live on it. Take that, God. God, you're supposed to be my co-pilot, right? Remember when Carrie Underwood once said, Jesus, take the wheel? Well, push, push that over. It's like this, this idea of like, I, I, want, I want to take control. And Jonah, Jonah at once, he's like, this is why I didn't want to do it. Because God, I knew what you were going to do. I want to be the throne. I want to be on control. And God doesn't want us to be. Because what is the heart of God? What is the really heart of God? And I'm so glad you asked me. Look at verse two, all right? Second, second part there. He says, uh, therefore, in order to for, forestall this, I fled to Tarsus, for I, I knew, I knew God. He says that you are gracious. You are compassionate. God, you are slow to anger. God, you are abundant in loving kindness. God, you are one who relents concerning calamity. What is God's character? What is God all about? Love, right? He God is gracious. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's, he's loving kindness. He, God is the one who relents concerning all calamity. Like God is all these things. This is who God is. God is not, God doesn't hate people. He loves all people. God came so that we could live. Uh, Timothy was encouraged by Paul the apostle when he, he, he told him this, when he wanted to preach to the people of Ephesus. He says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Paul would tell the Corinthians, he said, he died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Peter, same thing. He talks about the same type of God that 
Paul was speaking of. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Do you get the theme here? Everyone? What does Jesus come? What is his desire for? Everyone? Come on, what is his desire for, everybody? Everyone? Come on, what is his desire for? Everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say that he's for you. Okay? God dies for you. Please, because you got to, see, the gospel is all about people. The gospel is all about people. It's, every, it's about everyone that we're around. And the gospel is all about you. Remember the great Bible verse, John? He wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. Like, this is the message of God, that God loves how many Oh, everybody. He loves each and every person. This is his desire to show compassion. His desire to show loving kindness. His desire is for every single heartbeat. But Jonah had a sick heart. He had a heart disease. A disease that infected his view. A disease that he thought, well, I, I just, you know, here, here's the thing. Like, like this is... This is supposed to be like, right? This is supposed to be like a love seat, right? Me and God, hey God, how you doing? And I was like, You're, I, really, I really want you to have it, but God, can you just, just scoot over? I just, <laughs> I just need you to, I just need, need a little piece of this. Can you, you, you cool with that? You cool? Can you go run the world for a second? Because as you do that, I just want to care about myself. Me, myself, and I just care about the world that I live, which I live in. And, and he just focusing on, on really what I, I, I'm all about. We're all about something. Every single one of us are all about something. Some of you are all about right now baseball. Diamondbacks, hey, they're going to win this year, right? Some of you are all about coming up fantasy football. You're, all, you're getting ready for that. Some of you are all about your grandkids. Some of you are all about uh, your, your place of work. Some of you are all about, and praise God, if this is you, you're all about Jesus Christ. And if so, rock it. Keep, keep it going on fire for the Lord. But for some reason or another, within this body of ours, a fear sets in where we are afraid to do the very thing that God has called us to do. To share the love of Christ to every single person. I have to ask a church that I pastor, the refuge, all the time, like, what is our why? What is our why are we here? One of the phrases we say all the time is we, we want people to discover the hope that's found only in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. What? Jesus is the way. Some of you know that song. It was a song by Andre Crouch years ago, and he was so right on the money. And we forget when we look at certain individuals, though, that, that Jesus, Jesus is an answer for, for somebody. I recently, um, not long ago, um, a gentleman died, and on Facebook, Twitter, Social media everywhere, people, Christians alike, were, were saying, praise God, I'm glad that man's dead. His name is Hugh Hefner. And uh, he had destroyed many marriages over the years with his Playboy magazine and different stuff. But along the way, this man never experienced the hope, the joy, and the love of Christ. I don't know what happened to him on his deathbed, but I, I, it's my prayer that he came to know Jesus. Because not one soul was meant to be separated from the love of God. And I wonder sometimes as Christians if, if, if we are more known for what we are against than what we're for. I think we need to be known what we're for. 
what we're about. We're about the love of Christ. We're about Jesus Christ. We're about his love and the gospel and the message of hope to every single person who has ears to hear, a heart that beats, eyes to see, the love and joy of Jesus Christ. And we need to be a church, a church in the valley of Phoenix, Arizona, of Surprise, Maricopa County, wherever we come from to be here tonight, wherever you might be watching online this evening, I pray that you have a a heart check with your relationship, your desire with God. It matters about the presence. Like Jonah's mind, he's like, I did this to forestall. I fled to Tarshish. God, I didn't want these people to be set free. I, I stalled you because I have a lack of compassion. And this is the crazy thing. When God sees that, when God sees that on a person, and the Christian might fail in this world because of fear, because of doubt, because of insecurity, because of lack of confidence. When God sees that, we have to remember God will not relent. God will not stop. And God will keep pushing. Look at the heart and compassion of God and how God teaches Jonah a valuable lesson on his character, his mercy, and his kindness. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. He says, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head, kind of like a nice uh, umbrella to deliver from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about that plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. I kind of like, Jonah's kind of like emo, isn't he? Like a really emotional, like, like he's just bitter, man. I pray. Do you guys know a Christian brother or sister like that sometimes? Like the world's just all beating on them. I just think these are great tests of our faith. Like God wants to do something great. Sometimes, by the way, I just want to say, just as a side note, I really think this story is here for us as believers, as followers, Jesus followers, that uh, God is never finished with us, no matter what plight or situation we might be facing right now. Keep pushing through. Don't give up. Don't, don't get bitter hearted. Allow the Lord to soften your heart. So God said to Jonah, verse nine, he says, do, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, you, have, you had compassion on a plant for which you did not even work, which you did not even cause to grow and came up overnight and it perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Ooh, this is good. God is so clever. God is so wise. And he teaches Jonah something special. Like, I've created every single person don't you think I want them to come into a relationship with me? 
Don't you think every person is valuable and important? You know Psalm 139? The Bible says that we are all fascinatingly, wonderfully made into his image and his hand. Like God thinks about us more than there are grains of sand. His thoughts towards you and me are more than every single grain of sand that exists in this world. Think about the concept of how God compassionately thinks of us. You, specifically. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He's weeping when you're weeping. He's there. He sees the divorce when you're going through divorce. He sees what's happening with your kids, your grandkids. He knows what's happening at your workplace. Like God is present every single day, and he cares deeply for you. When he was being crucified on the cross, Jesus, he looked out upon the people, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Like the message of the gospel is that a message of love. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of acceptance. And God would go the distance so that people could come and experience the love of Christ. What God has done for you, what God has done for me, what he's done for all the world to see of how much he loves them. He is battling this very thing here, the throne of our lives. He is in a wrestling match with our lives, like Jacob when he wrestled God. When Jacob finally gave up and said, God, please take the throne, Jacob had a different walk. The Bible says he walked with a limp. I think he walked in humility from here on out. He knew that God was a centerpiece. God, God was in charge. Let God take the throne. We needed to allow God to take the throne of our lives, to be the messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. And I, I don't know, you know, I... Pastor Brett gave me an opportunity just and I wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you for praying, for being pursuing Jesus, to keep on asking Christ to be a part of your life. But I have to tell you, it's not an accident that God ordained tonight for me to be here. It's not an accident that you are here tonight. It's not an accident that God chose this message of all messages because I believe in this room, every single one of us has an individual, at least one, that we have rejected to tell the gospel to or we've gave up hope in and we, we, we have just not, we're not, you're not done. You're not finished. And God wants you to keep passing the baton, keep dripping Jesus into their life, keep sharing the love of Christ to somebody. And maybe, maybe it's even you in this room that was invited by someone tonight to discover that hope found in Jesus, to, to hear the gospel, like, like the, 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 the importance of it, because Jesus has sent us his son. I mean, Jesus says, does that, wait, does that make sense? It, Jesus has sent us his son? Well, that, no, well, that's heresy. <laughs> Forgive me. God, the father, sent us his son. His name is Jesus. Forgive me. And he sent us his son. And as he sent us his son, Jesus as he died on a cross for our sins and three days later he was ro rose from the dead, he conquered the grave. When he ascended to heaven, he says, guys, I'm going to send you somebody. I'm going to send you the, his, my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he comes and he lives inside of each and every believer in Christ Jesus. He lives in each and every, if you profess the name of Jesus today, you believe on him with all your mind, God, God lives in you. He lives in you, and now you get to carry that same message of hope to every single person, like the Lord is with you. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but he's given you power, he's given you love, he's given you a sound mind, and he wants us to go forth and share the hope now in Jesus.
Like the message now resides with you. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove. The dove in the the Bible is all about a picture. Look, it's right above the cross. It's all about the picture of his spirit. And God has sent his dove, his spirit within our hearts to be that messenger of hope, to share the wonderful truth to a city in need. The city of surprise, the city where you live, it could be Phoenix, it could be Tolleson, it could be Waddell, it could be Sun City, it could be Glendale, Peoria, wherever you're from. God's called you to reach your city, to focal poise, maybe your family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. But He's given you His Spirit to go and to share the love of Christ, to invite people to Jesus, to bring that that hope of Christ to every single person. This is always the message of the gospel for Jesus. As I look at the story and I think of Jonah, I always go back to Christ. Like, what would Jesus do? Do you guys remember those, those uh, wristbands? Yeah, WWJD. Do any of you still have one? Still wear one? No? No, that's okay. You can probably go buy one today. They're pretty cool. WWJD always asks the question, what would Jesus do? You remember Jesus when he walked um, in John chapter four, he had the opportunity to go to uh, um, the Sea of Galilee region. But Jesus said, you know, I'm gonna walk through Samaria. Why would he go to Samaria? Says, in fact, it says in John 4, 2, that he says he had to, had to go to Samaria. And he wanted to share hope to a woman who was at a well. The woman who was caught, who had like different husbands over the course of her life. She was living with somebody that she shouldn't have been living with at that time. But yet, Jesus had to go and meet with her. For a Jew hanging out with a Samaritan, it was a no-no. But Jesus had to. He had to go and hang out with somebody who needed to experience love. To needed to know an identity to have hope. What is your burden? What is your burden that you want to have? The burden that God has placed on your heart. Is there somebody right now? I recently watched um, Fred Rogers has a documentary out about him called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Such a unique story about Fred. He was a, a minister of the gospel shared Christ in his uh, life throughout. That's why his, the whole show is called Won't You Be uh, like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Is like, because Christ's life and his story was to love one another as you love yourself or love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? This is his whole story throughout all those years of doing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And every time he had the opportunity to speak, he would ask the congregation to think of a person in their life that they would like to thank. And he'd ask them to just not say a word for a minute and to think of what they had done so that then they can go and later and share that with that individual. I wanna flip that for a moment and give you an opportunity right now to think of that one person who may have hurt you or harmed you or, or you've rejected to tell the gospel to. Maybe tonight you had the opportunity to share and invite them to church, but you didn't because you are busy, just didn't think about it. Maybe you just didn't want to go there. 
so they can experience just like who Jesus is. So for just a moment, would you with me? Let's think of that person, and I'm gonna ask you to pray for that person. Let's begin right now. Okay. God, God knows who that person was you were thinking about. And I believe God's given you a burden. And he will be spurring you on for a burden for somebody in your life. If nobody came to mind, I know that God will, he will reveal somebody to you because we have something so valuable, something so precious, that Jesus would leave heaven to come to earth in the form of man so that we could experience a relationship with God Almighty. He desires, his desire is that all men would come to know him. It's not impossible. I like to um, play with an app every now and then. There's this cool Google app that uh, comes up on your phones and stuff. You can say fun things to it, like Siri. If you ever talk to Siri, Siri responds in different ways on, on your iPhone. Here, the Google app, you can say things like, um, let's see here, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> did, you, did you catch that? Could you hear that all right? Okay, let's see. Um, Beam me up, Scotty. I can't do it, Captain. I do not have the power. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right, okay, this, this is a fun one to say. Um, what does the fox say? Yup, a dup, a dup. <laughs> and actually, it says something new every time. What does the fox say? Hotty, 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 ho. <laughs> one more time, just for fun. What does a fox say? Hotty, hotty, hotty. Oh, come on. Oh, there was a, there's a better one. All right, anyway. What I find so fascinating about Google, Google, I don't know if you knew this, but Google is a mathematical number. It's a number that actually speaks of uh, uh, the impossible number. Uh, so when they created the Google search engine, it was to provide the largest quantified numbers of, of everything, to put everything together, like the impossible to make it possible. And so when you ask uh, Google, um, what, uh, like, like the mathematical number, like how many, well, let's do it here. Google, how, how, many, how many zeros 
are in a Google. Let's try Google, how many zeros are in a, in a Google? According to Wikipedia, Google, a Google is the large number 10,100. That is the digit one followed by 100 zeros. You see, the, the number, it might be impossible for you and me, but it's not impossible for God. God will do the impossible if you start doing the unthinkable by seeking, asking God, praying for people, going the distance. God is compassionate. He's long-suffering. He will do anything for, for his people. Amen? He will do anything. He will go the distance for, for his people. And he asks each and every one of us to be a person who's willing to go the distance. Jonah, all he had to do was go a few hundred miles northeast to a people in need. God calls every single one of us to go the distance for a people in need, and that distance just might be a phone call away. I don't know who God put on your heart tonight, but the city of surprise needs to discover the hope in Jesus. It starts here in this room, and it's birthed not by a church body, but it's birthed by the individual within the church body. And when God starts dealing with one person's heart, it catches fire to everybody else's. Started one person with, with Jonah, and a city of Nineveh was saved and spared, all 120,000 people. What can God do with you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for your gospel, the gospel of hope, the love that we have in you, the joy that comes from you, just knowing you, remembering where we once were, but not having you, Christ, in our lives, you give us, you give us an opportunity to press on for tomorrow. Lord, you are the why we get up in the morning. You are the reason why we live. Maybe we just need to get back to that heart of worship to discover, rediscover that hope that's found in you, Jesus. Lord, I ask and pray by your spirit that you would move on our hearts. And maybe there is somebody in this room that doesn't know you. It's never tasted experience, the saving grace, acceptance, the love just as they are. Lord, I pray tonight would be the night of their salvation that you would just draw them close they would believe on you for the first time and accept you as their Lord and Savior. And maybe that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed, but maybe God's asking you in this room tonight to taste, to see, experience the love of Christ like never before. That God loves you just as you are. He, he came to die just for you. If that's you in this room, God's speaking to you. Don't don't push him away, but just receive him today. And I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Would you just would you say, dear God, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you were buried and, and you rose from the dead. Lord, it's because you live that I, I, I want to live with you. I believe in you, Jesus, as, as my Savior.
thank you for accepting me just as I am and loving me just as I am. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, I just maybe you prayed that prayer with me a moment ago. If that was you today, I'd love to ask you in just a moment, everyone's head bowed, eyes closed. If that was you if a moment ago, if you asked the Lord in your life, I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna be looking my heads up right even now, and, but just between you and me, if, that, if you ask Christ to come into your life today, would you raise your hand? I wanna be praying for you. Awesome, praise God, that's cool. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you right now for your, for your kids, for all of us. We are your kids. You love us just as we are. And today, Lord, people are a part, a better, deeper part of your family. Lord, you've brought us into this place tonight to experience that, to, that call to be reminded of, to share that wonder and hope. But more importantly, God, you brought people tonight to taste and see, Lord, the goodness of you. We thank you, Jesus. We ask that you would fill us, Lord, with your spirit moving out from here and you, we would go and grow and walk in your grace and your truth and live for you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Should you get a word of praise? <laughs>